Blog Talk Radio. Welcome. You're listening to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio with your host, Darren Batman McDuck. And now, prepare to get fat. Hey, 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 what's cracking? And welcome back to another episode of Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. I'm your show host, Darren Fatman McDuffie, and it's nice to have you out there. And the show is being brought to you by I'mTheFatMan.com, which is about to change. I've been saying this for months, but it's finally about to happen. I actually started investigating some new sites that I want to do. Actually, I'm going to move the site. I started to keep the same domain that I have now, but I'm going to actually end up moving the site over to um, another domain and started working on the site. I've been doing my own websites for a long time, maybe about seven or eight years. So I started to um, move the site over and uh, there was a theme that I really had my eye on and then took a look at it. And I was like, eh, I don't really like this. The font is too small. So I really found the right theme that I wanted to work with and uh, I'll be working on the site and it should be up soon and uh, you'll be having access to all the podcasts. When I first started my site, I really didn't pay attention to uh, everything. I just started as a blog, didn't, didn't really realize that I was going to at some point wanting to start a podcast, and therefore my site just looks like a blog. But the new site will incorporate the blog. There will be a store. There will be a lot more for you people out there who are really following the podcast, and hopefully – uh, everything will grow. I'm looking to take this this to a, a new level and help as many people as I can get healthy, get well, and get a lot more conscious. I really think that we need that. As a reminder, just wanted to let you know that I did a really good show with Ori Hoffmeckler Monday night. Um, we That show was entitled The Anti-Estrogenic Diet, and we talked a lot about estrogen and xenoestrogens and the things that are in our food. And if you're not aware of that, I would definitely suggest that you go and download that show via iTunes or listen to it on the Blog Talk radio platform or go to Stitcher. I'm located on all those, and you can listen to any of the shows anytime that you would like to listen to those. And also, just check out Ori's site, uh, uh, defensenutrition.com. A lot of good stuff on there. Uh, I went and I edited the show notes, so you'll be able to find that site. But again, go to his site. He has a lot of good products on there, a lot of good, safe healthy products, and I can't recommend that enough. And tonight we have another great show. I'm already going to call this one a classic just because Dr. Minnick and I seem to have the same philosophy when it comes to uh, a lot of things going on. And many of you know that I've kind of gotten away from telling people what they shouldn't eat, what they shouldn't do, and gotten more on the path of really emotions and how emotions affect us and how a large part of our society are really not dealing with their emotions and processing their emotions. We're going to get into that tonight with Dr. Minnick and her book, Whole Detox. But before I get into inviting her on, let me go ahead and read her bio. Dr. Minnick is an internationally recognized teacher, author, scientist, speaker, and artist. She has more than 20 years of diverse, well-rounded experience in the fields of nutrition and functional medicine, including clinical practice, research, product formulation, writing, and education. She has authored five books on health and wellness and over 15 scientific publications. 
Dr. Minnick's passion is teaching a whole self approach to nourishment and bridging the gaps between science, spirituality, and art in medicine. You can visit our site at uh, www.drdianaminnick.com to learn more. Dr. Minnick, welcome to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. How are you? Hi, thanks for having me on the show. Thank you for being on. I really enjoyed your book. I have to say. Oh, that's great to hear. That's like, for any author, that's just music to their ears, right, to hear that. So thank you so much. Thanks for taking the time to read it. Yeah, I, um, just because I've kind of taken a journey in the past two years, um, when everybody kind of enters the health and wellness field, we're pretty much telling people what not to eat, what to eat. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. And I think um, the landscape of health and wellness is kind of crowded with that whole thing. And to have a book like your book is just a a breath of fresh air because now we're finally getting to maybe um, the root cause and no pun intended, because we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, your seven systems, but what's really going on? Why are we having these limiting beliefs? Why are we having these thoughts and these emotions that we're really not dealing with? So your book was kind of, to me, a breath of fresh air and kind of an mm. affirmation that, hey, you know what, I'm on the right path of what I've been doing and what I've been kind of voicing out there to the people. But enough of me talking. Um, I did some research for the show and watched a lot of YouTube videos, went through your book and, and, and got a, a bunch of questions that I want to ask. But I always ask people to kind of share your journey. And from what I discovered of your journey is that there was a time when you were yourself searching for answers. You were not so healthy, but please share your story with us. Yeah, you know, I think we, many of us start out from that place where we're looking for answers. And, um, you know, I grew up with a health nut mom, and this was back in the 1970s, and it really wasn't cool to be healthy, not like it is now. So for me, at the age of 9, 10, 11, kind of going through this, it was pretty scarring to have a mom that was really different. And so I kind of grew up within this milieu of, you know, I don't want to be different. My mom's eating strangely. And so it put me into the the opposite direction, which was binging, overeating, eating lots of sugar. And this just created lots of problems in my body. And at the time, I didn't really realize that because, you know, you're not really putting together the dots when you're a teenager. <laughs> you're just... Mm-hmm. trying to live life and, and be the, you know, the, the rebel that you are. And so, you know, I ended up, um, I had a lot of issues with my reproductive system. I had endometriosis, which is a, um, it's an inflammatory condition of the uterus. Uh, I had irritable bowel syndrome. I had acne. You know, just everything was amped up when I was a teenager, and this continued on into my 20s. And eventually some things progressed even further with um, with the endometriosis. And so I had some, some other complications there. So, yeah, I did start looking for answers. And I would say that I was always really science-minded. Like I always was asking a lot of questions. So it was kind of natural for me to go in the direction of trying to find solutions. So I did that in a couple of ways. Uh, When I was in college, I was pre-med. I started studying science. I took botany and physiology and all kinds of uh, classes to get me ready to go to medical school, which I never went to. Uh, I ended up going to graduate school instead. And then on the other track, I was very drawn to other systems of truth because I 
was kind of sensing that I wasn't getting all of my answers in science classes. So I felt like I had to go beyond those reaches, and I went into things like studying psychology, world religions, philosophy. I was actually, um, I had a minor in English literature when I was uh, in undergrad. So I took a lot of poetry classes, and I took a lot of, uh, I remember one of the classes I took was the philosophy of language. So, you know, just I, I was looking for answers in many different places, and I think that this happens to us as, as individuals when we are really seeking and, and and even now, I, I see that when people come to me or when they're looking for health advice, it's almost like they've been in so many different places looking for this advice. They've been to many different healers and practitioners. They've been on websites. They've read all kinds of books. And I think that what's very unique about my book relative to other books is that I am not into giving people advice. I, I really feel like I just want to help you find your own way. And I honor the fact that you're different from everybody else, that we're all unique. And so Whole Detox is really trying to take that approach of personalization with everything that I know. It's really the integration of of all the things that I've studied over time. Yeah. I read a lot of books because I have to read the books for the show to interview people. But your book, again, I said it was a breath of fresh air because it kind of takes a different approach. And I can attest to the fact that you didn't give any advice. It's kind of like, okay, here the information is, and you do what it with, do with it what you will. So, you know, kind of kudos to you. Um, in reading the book, I noticed that you kind of researched a lot of different disciplines. You went to traditional Chinese medicine. You went Ayurvedic. You did a lot of different things. Was this by design or was this one of the things where you kind of studied one area, it took you down the rabbit hole to another area? area, or, or how Oh, that, yeah, how it was organic. It, it was definitely not contrived, or I didn't map this out <laughs> and say, <laughs> okay, after I study Ayurvedic medicine, I want to go study traditional Chinese medicine. It just kind of, you know, it unfolded just because of my own path, looking for, for solutions to things. So I tried a bunch of things. I remember when I was 19, I went for my first acupuncture uh, treatment and the acupuncturist asked me, you know, what are you here for? And I was like, I don't know. I'm kind of here because I'm curious. And you know, there's a whole different language with traditional Chinese medicine. And and when I was 18, I took my first yoga class, and I started studying yoga. So it was just a matter of, um, I think I was just really led into being curious. And when you're curious and you're looking for truth, truth comes in a lot of different packages. And so. I was just window shopping for alternative medicine therapies that I wanted to experience. You know, I experienced Reiki. Um, I got into astrology for some time. I got into, I mean, gosh, I've gone the whole spectrum of looking into so many things so that, you know, it's so interesting because when people say to me, oh, you know, have you read this book? And this is such an intriguing concept, you know, looking at the energetics of gems. It's like, you know, I did that like 20 years ago. Uh, it was kind of part of my path where I looked into everything. I don't think that there was any kind of a, a CAM or a complementary alternative medicine discipline that I didn't explore. It was almost like I was at this huge buffet and I experienced them in, in various ways. So I'm appreciative that I look back now and, and say that, you know, I was kind of doing those things when they really weren't that popular just because I was looking for my own solutions. And now I'm glad to see that 20 years later, 
a lot of these things have become much more mainstream, which is great because, you know, there's kind of this underground of all these different modalities, and many of them are not very well accepted. So people kind of do them in secret. Yeah, I, I always say that the stuff that I talk about on my videos, I was like, okay, maybe two years from now, people will finally catch up with it. <laughs> so yeah. you know, I, know, I, know, I know exactly what you, you went through because you were starting to sell uh, stuff 20 years ago. Let's get back to yoga. Um, in the book, you kind of expressed that there was one particular yoga class that kind of changed the way you thought about things. Go back to that class and kind of give us a understanding of what happened in that class and why I guess the book is a manifestation of maybe what went on in that yoga class. Mm, you know, I think that that was definitely part of the constellation of the, the universe of this book. Um, yeah. So when I was, uh, as I mentioned, I was 18, I took this yoga class and I remember walking into the class really not knowing what to anticipate. You know, I, I really just kind of threw myself into it. And um, the teacher was probably in her late 60s, early 70s, which kind of surprised me. And she was burning incense in the class, and it was dark in there. And um, it was a much more spiritual experience than a physical one. And I didn't realize that so much about yoga. And so, yeah, I mean, even now I can really go back to that class and I can smell the incense. I can see the teacher um I, I can see what she's wearing and there were just a couple you know it wasn't a huge class so we got a lot of attention and she talked about philosophy and then we did movement you know it was like one of the most beautifully orchestrated uh you know philosophical and physiological and psychological it was like all the things i loved so from that point on i was hooked and uh i, I was still in the throes of school though so i wasn't really committed to studying yoga fully. You know, I got a bit of that when I was looking into world religions. I I could see how yoga was connected to Ayurvedic medicine. Um, but it was in my it was in my early thirties when I decided to uh actually go and become a yoga teacher. And so I got into yoga at a deeper level. Um but I have been doing yoga ever since, you know, not on a consistent basis, not every day, but I've always been in touch with it. I feel like it's very familiar to me. And so that class really woke me up to the potential of yoga. And and what I love about yoga as a discipline is that it goes in many directions. It's everything from meditation to movement to principles about how one lives life. Um, it's, uh, it's multifaceted. And I, I think that that is, to me, very appealing because I think many people want to find one one path up the mountain they want to just be safe in one thing and just know that if they follow this diet they're going to get to where they want to be and they don't really see that there's much more to it there's complexity there's context and i mean we are just like sculpting ourselves every day and we're not static beings you know we're not our genes so I think that yoga really subscribes to this paradigm that we are organic beings. We're constantly being molded by our environment and that we're so complex and we can tap into all these different modalities to help us bring out certain things about ourselves. So, yeah, that's what I love about yoga. And, you know, the seven systems of health that I talk about in Whole Detox do originate from the yogic tradition, although I've 
kind of modified them according to how I was starting to see things unravel in my clinical practice and just my other observations. So yoga was, I'm glad that you mentioned yoga because uh, I don't typically talk a lot about that on interviews and that was really one of my, my early starting points. Yeah, well, thank you. I always try to find those things that nobody ever asks. <laughs> so that would be a great question. Well, you just did, um, so gold star. I, thank you. I, um, I'm i going to admit this because when I first got your book, I was like, oh, my God, not another detox book. And, but oh, I when know. I, start, I hear you. When I started reading, I was presently, presently surprised by what you were sharing. And um, before I got on, I shared with the audience that, um, it kind of fit in along the lines of where I'm going now on my journey. And uh, But traditional detox, let's talk a little bit about that because there's so much out there. You have one segment of the population believing that detox isn't, you don't need it. And then you have another segment of the population which kind of wants to detox us to death. You know, what yeah, not to eat. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> What? Not the, don't do so this, true. eat this. You know, you need to detox every three mm. months. Do the, the latest, greatest honey and graham cracker juice cleanse or whatever. And, <laughs> but where you kind of got into this place where you knew that your traditional detox or traditional detoxes were falling short, kind of give us your thought process of, you know, the book and how you got out of this whole pattern of thought of just doing the traditional detoxing like juicing and fasting mm. or, or whatever but what made you want to move out into I guess the twilight zone because when you're talking about emotions and, and getting over limiting beliefs and all that stuff people tend to want to tune you out because it's like oh it's, you know it's this uh, artsy fartsy stuff but mm-hmm. what got you out of that thinking of traditional detox you know, it, it, I give a lot of credit to the patients I had and the people that I was taking through nutritional detoxification programs. So I started doing a lot of um, clinical work after I finished my Ph.D. I started working with different types of doctors. My mind was really open to, gosh, what is this thing called metabolic biotransformation? And, you know, it's one of the pillars of um, functional medicine, you know, to do this nutritional detox. So. I started doing them with patients, and this goes way back, you know, and just um, observing what was happening, and it really wasn't clicking at that point, and then some more years went by, and I started to notice a trend, because, you know, what is truth? Truth is anything where you start to recognize a pattern. It keeps happening. It doesn't deviate, and so what I was noticing was that many of the people that I would put on the nutritional detoxification programs would have experiences that went beyond just their body. And so what I mean by that is, you know, they'd come to the clinic and I would see them for, you know, maybe they were fatigued or they weren't sleeping right or they kind of had these amorphous symptoms where other doctors really weren't able to tap into what was going on. So, you know, I was seeing them, the other doctors I was working with was seeing were seeing them. And so we we did this detox and what would happen would be not only would their physical body symptoms improve, like they'd get more energy, they would sleep better, their appetite improved in in better ways, they didn't have all the sugar cravings, but a lot of them had these, I guess I would call them epiphanies. You know, because if you look at um, 
detoxes throughout time. Like if you go all the way back to ancient history and you look at religious traditions, you look at medical traditions, you you see that this is part of who we are as humans is to cleanse, to get rid of stuff. And so the ancient Greeks and Romans would do things like bloodletting and, and apply leeches to, to suck out the humors in the body that were bad. And then you look at uh, religious traditions, and I grew up Catholic, and one of the things we had to do is go tell the priest our sins, or we had to go and stop eating certain things during Lent, which was like this 40-day period of abstaining from certain things. So I started to observe that, you know, that maybe this is more powerful because people are wanting to quit their jobs. Some of them want to end relationships when they're doing this detox. Others want to move to a different state or even a different country. Their wardrobe changes. Their thinking starts to change. Their emotions are all over the place. So there's this heightened, it's almost like, you know, they're just changing rapidly when they're going through this process. So I started connecting it to kind of the lineage of of detox out there. And I think this is what we've lost in our modern day is we don't attach kind of the ancient tradition of detoxification and what that means and how it was really again within a context you were supported by a tribe of people or by healers going through this experience because it was so cathartic and so that's kind of what i was observing it was cathartic you know people would come in crying or you know and just 21 to 28 days of doing a detox could radically alter people beyond just doing regular diet changes and including supplements. So when I saw this, I thought, well, why wouldn't I just design a program that accommodated and could deal with a lot of these mental-emotional shifts and to know that it was okay and to prepare people that this was going to happen? Because when I was doing these nutritional detoxes, I didn't prepare people that you know they might want to quit their job or you know, they might want to get a divorce or they might want to end a friendship or they might want to start a friendship. I had no clue until I started seeing that this was just something that started happening. Yeah. Do you think that was just a product of just finally being clear-minded? Like a lot of times I think our minds are polluted. There's so much going on. You know, I was talking to a friend on the phone today and I was just telling him how, you know, phones, like most people are enamored by their phone. You can go out and you see a group of people sitting down. No one's talking to each other. Everybody's checking Facebook or Twitter or mm-hmm. the latest mm-hmm. thing, you know, his picture on Instagram. Um, do you think your program, Whole Detoxing, is an amalgamation of just people finally being able to be clear and be connected. Yeah, and and really honoring that. Because I think back to what you said about people kind of backing away from the mental and emotional stuff, I'm opening the door and I'm opening it up wide and saying, you know what, we need to go there. Because if we don't go there, you may not make the shifts that you're wanting to make. So we need to get into that goopy stuff because you can be eating like the best foods every day, but if your mind is full of negative thoughts, you know, you're only going to get so far. You're only going to take it to a certain level. And that's what I would see. In fact, I just put a a newsletter out today to my, my email list, and I was talking about how to really change a habit. 
And how do you do this? You've got to look at the underbelly of everything that it's connected to. And, Darren, you had opened up this whole conversation talking about the root. We've got to get into the root. And Mm -hmm. oftentimes it's not so comfortable to go in that space. It's more comfortable just to get another diet book or just distract yourself by being more on social media or, you know, whatever it is. But I do think it's really important to dive in and even though it can be painful, it can be more time intensive, in the long run it's all going to save you much more time and you'll be happier and healthier faster when you start looking at the root causes. I agree. People are so afraid to deal with their emotions and it wasn't until maybe – a couple of months ago, maybe a year ago, when I really started to say, hey, you know what, what am I feeling? Especially from a male perspective, I think for men, it's, we are so, if you look at a fist that's balled up, we are so balled up. We're so afraid of our emotions. For women, it's, women can cry, you know, it's not looked at anything as, as a negative. But for men, I think sometimes we're so balled up and so clenched up it's hard for us to express our emotion because we've been taught most of our lives that we shouldn't be emotional, but um, you know, the feelings are in place to kind of guide you. But for most men and even, you know, even women, I don't want to leave women out, but I think our society has kind of downplayed our emotions and listening to our emotions. I just, I think that that's a big part of what we're missing in, in health and wellness. And that's why I'm so glad uh, that you, you brought your book to the light. Um, Let's kind of talk about biochemicals, because this was very interesting to me that talking about our emotions and the thoughts that come up can produce these type of bio. We don't have to experience the thing. Just the thought of it can kind of produce these biochemicals that are in our body, things like cortisol and all the things that, you know, we want to kind of keep at, at, at the end. But talk a little bit about biochemicals and how this whole thing can come about and really affect our body by just having thoughts, no, nothing physical, just the whole thought aspect of it. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I love really diving into this whole mind-body medicine terrain. Well, a couple of things. Let me first start by saying that there are now medical journals out there that talk about psychosomatic medicine. Psychosomatic medicine means that Essentially, you are creating and thinking about your your thoughts are creating some kind of an effect in your body. And so there are two terms in this psychosomatic medicine realm, and one of them is placebo. And a placebo effect is when you think that something is good or something will happen to you in kind of a good way, and you experience a benefit, and it does actually happen. There are many studies that can demonstrate the placebo effect, that if we take a supplement and we think it's going to help our energy level, chances are we are going to experience greater energy because we already think it's going to happen. There's also this this idea of a nocebo effect. Many people don't know about this one. The nocebo effect means... If you think that something will have harmful consequences and hurt you, chances are it will. So if you go into a study, a clinical trial, and you read all of these side effects of what can happen if you take this medication, uh, and then you start taking the medication, and then you're like, you know what, I think I'm getting these, these symptoms. They're coming up. And then the more you think about them, the more everything is magnified, and, and then you just kind of perpetuate that fear. So the mind is really powerful, and it can go in many different directions. And so if we think about the biochemistry of how do we anchor 
the mind into the body. So let's think of the dream state. I think that this is always a classic one, right? So you're in bed, you're sleeping, the body is inert, but the mind is going and the mind is processing stuff. And for anybody who's had a nightmare or a dream, maybe you felt like you were running or, you know, there's some kind of stress in the dream, you can actually cry. You know, you can Mm -hmm. produce a physical body sensation. You can cry. You might actually wake up in a panic kind of gripping your heart, kind of like, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad that that wasn't real. Um, My dad, um, my dad has uh, a lot of sleep things. So when he sleeps, he he moves a lot. And um, it's almost like he's acting out his dream uh, as he's sleeping. And And he even was a sleepwalker when he was a child. So it's kind of interesting to me because the mind is kind of moving us in the dream state. And so that, there's nothing that the body is necessarily doing. The, the other, so you can say, well, but that's sleeping. That's not the awake state. So in the awake state, let's imagine we go to a movie. Okay, and we sit there for two hours, and let's just say it's a, um, it's a horror movie, and I never go to horror movies for this very reason. You go to a horror movie, and the whole time your adrenaline is is going through your blood, the cortisol is being released, you're releasing insulin, all of these chemicals are being released in your body, and you're not in the movie. There's no reason for you to have these biochemicals floating through your body. But what's happening is you're looking at it, you're looking at the movie, you're sitting there, your your body is static. You're not participating in this at all except through your mind. Yet, you can feel the heart palpitations. You can feel the, the, the rush of adrenaline coursing through your blood. And all of these biochemical changes have real effects. And so if we continue to live like this, where every day has some kind of stressor in it, and we never completely get rid of it, what can happen is that our body is in constant alarm and terror. So this is why I say that it's so important to know... Uh, about your environments. Choose your environments carefully. Choose your decisions, your social networks carefully because all of those are inputs. And so each time we have an input, we're creating some biochemical effect in the body. So that's either going to be a a beneficial one or a not-so-beneficial one, and and you can make the choice. Yeah, I'm like your dad. I'm not like your dad, but in a sense, I remember when I was younger, I would always wake up crying and and my the dream that I would always have is that I was falling like I just kept Mm. falling I couldn't catch myself there was no end you're just falling down this bottomless pit and I would wake up crying I'm like why am I dreaming about this um this is something that came up for me maybe three months ago and your book kind of reaffirmed and I wanted to read it to you a happy relaxed person is biochemically different from an angry sad or fearful one one of the things that I've always said, I've been, I started in health in 2005, and it's 11 years later. But it wasn't until maybe about four or five months ago that I really said to myself, I said, I've never seen a person who is truly happy that's not healthy, that's unhealthy. I've never seen it. Right. Mm-hmm. You don't see that. But most people don't make that correlation when you see some, someone that's, really, truly happy, they're healthy. That's a healthy person. Talk a little bit about that and about, you know, that that quote in in your book. 
Well, it's true. There's so much science now to suggest, and we don't even need science, but I'll just let you know that there is science to suggest that when we um, are, are happy in our bodies when or within our minds, you know, again, this is creating a different biochemical milieu. So when people are angry or they feel violent or they feel frustrated or full of rage, we actually produce more inflammation well, they're called inflammatory cytokines, but we just produce mm-hmm. more inflama- just inflammation in general in the body. So we get inflamed. It's almost like if you look at this word inflamed, it's really representing the emotional aspects. So whenever I see somebody who is just, they have some kind of inflammation in their body, I like to ask them the question, what are you upset about? What are you angry about? What gets you um, just really heat it up, what, what really gets under your skin, and, and really to look at the fact that the mind and the body are so connected, and being a healthy person means all the way around being a healthy person, you know, and, and we all have stuff to work on, it's not like I'm perfect by any means, and therefore I have all this authority, you know, um, I, I'm always working on things, I'm working on my thoughts, I'm working on my emotions, I'm working on my food, I'm working on my activity and relationships, you know, it, it never stops. Uh, and so moving in the direction of, of really starting to see how all of this stuff is interrelated, I think, Darren, what I have noticed is that it's so much about awareness. So when people live life on autopilot, when they stop seeing, you're kind of alluding to people not recognizing the importance of things or seeing the interconnection of things. I think that's because they're not aware, and awareness is so critical for our health. So if we're aware, we're going to be aware of our thoughts, we're going to be aware of our emotions, we're going to be aware of what we're eating, we're going to be aware of our choices, we're going to be aware of how we feel when we walk into a room with people, and we'll be able to say, ah, yeah, this feels right, or no, this doesn't feel right. Um, And so awareness, I think, is is really part of health. And there's one scientific study I can remember. It was looking at emotional health. And what they had found was that people who were in touch with their emotions and learned to emotionally regulate themselves could live a better life, number one. And number two, they actually lived 14 years longer than people who were not able to regulate their emotions in healthy, beneficial ways. And a lot of these studies find that impulsively venting is just as bad as stuffing it down. It's almost like they're equally bad. So if you're just kind of like a fly-off-the-handle, reactive, type-A person, well, that's setting you up for things like cardiovascular disease. And if you stuff things down and you just let it boil inside of you, same thing. You know, a lot of diseases can be made manifest through that process. So I think it's so essential um, to have good, healthy practices around emotional regulation, which is why within the whole detox program, one of the things that I do, and it coincides with what I call the flow system of health, What I do is I have people track their emotions every day of the program. So there's a list of about 20 different emotions. At the end of the day, people are supposed to go through and just check it off. Just check it off like a list, an inventory list, and say, okay, I felt sad today. I felt grief. I felt happy. I felt content. You know, what are these emotions that I'm feeling? Because 
we can't regulate or get in touch with our emotions if we can't define them. So we've got to start the relationship with the emotions in order to work with them. Let's get back to science. You mentioned science at the the start of, you know, your statement and what you were saying. And in the book, you had a client, I believe an Indian client, I want to say Padma. Uh Uh-huh, Padma, yeah. Yeah, and in that she says, hey, you know what, uh, Dr. Minnick, I came to you for a nutritional detox, and you're talking to me about, uh, you know, spiritual stuff. How did you answer answer her? Because I thought that this was so profound, because – when you are dealing with people, a lot of times people just want to know the mechanical action. What do I have to take? What do I have to do? We're such a doing society, but no one wants to hear like, hey, get in touch with your emotion. This is, how, this is what you need to do. And this may be all that you need along with maybe using some supplements to reinforce that. But what did you tell her? Because I think that the audience needs to hear this. I know that for me, it was like, wow, the light bulb went on. I'm like, I'm going to use this. Mm. But what did you tell her when she, when she said that to you? I said, there's no difference between the two that what the science tells us is that the mind and the body are one. And that if we make any distinction between them, it's like a distinction without a difference. You know, there's, there's no separation. And in fact, you know, I went on further to tell her that, I was actually teaching a graduate class on the fundamentals of mind-body medicine, that this is real, that, that doctors are learning about the power of the mind in healing. And I think that when I can toss out a couple of scientific studies, that really grounds people. It's like, oh, okay, there must be something here because it's been studied. And actuality, this stuff has been studied for 20-plus years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So it, it's nothing new under the sun, and and I feel like I can be more forceful with it now because there's even more science. And and so really and truly, my message to her was there is no difference between the the mind and the body. When we're treating the body, we're treating the mind. When we're treating the mind, we're treating the body. So you know, this is really biochemistry is just reflecting that within you. So there, it's. It's all very connected. And unfortunately, there are other disciplines now, like in functional medicine, they talk about the mental, emotional, spiritual, uh, and how that connects to the different body systems. I mean, more and more groups are really venturing into that terrain. And I think it's because we have the language now. We have the studies that we can use to support talking about it. Whereas before, it just kind of felt like a feel-good exercise. It's kind of like, okay, the relaxation response, you know, or deep breathing, but really is this very impactful? Well, now we've got the studies to show that, yeah, like this stuff actually changes your gene expression. Being a a seasoned relaxer over time and being able to go into that relaxation response actually primes your, your genetic pathways in such a way that you're down-regulating the pathways that are connected to disease. So I think that that's remarkable, to think that you're changing your genetic expression through the basis of the relaxation response or through breath or through, you know, just really just not having stress, you know, not having too much chronic uh, stress. That, that is all very powerful. 
Do you think our society would look a little better across the board if we were taught as children, you know, you, you know, you grow up as an adult and you're an adult, but do you think that if we were taught as children to maybe approach our life from a more spiritual perspective that our, the demographics of obesity and the diseases that we encounter now would look totally different? Mm, I love that question. Yeah, I, I think if we project ourselves out 10 years and say, you know, what are, what are we going to be doing in 2026? How will health and wellness look? I think that there will be two streams. I think that in the first stream, it's going to be all about genes. We're going to have all of these individualized genetics where all of you is on a chip. And so you're going to know kind of your template. And I think within that realm of genetics, people are going to go into things like psychology and we'll be able to explain better why we think like we do, why we emote like we do, because we may have some of these genetic predispositions or imprints that are, um, you know, moving us in that direction. And I think that even beyond that, we are going to see the individualization of medicine. So every person is going to be seen as unique and unique in their, their mind and unique in their emotions, unique in their bodies, and that's going to be more and more recognized. But I think we have to get into that space. You know, I, um, I was doing some teaching for a cancer retreat center for about five years, and even if you look at the, the treatment for people with cancer now, it's much more integrated than it ever has been. I mean, usually, you know, I can remember growing up and witnessing family members with cancer and looking at their treatment. Nobody talked about the mind. Nobody talked about emotions. It was just blasting the body with chemotherapy and radiation. But now you look at what happens when people go through cancer therapy. They have many options. They can actually go down this route of addressing the mind and doing more psychotherapy and group exercises and really processing a lot of these emotions that come up from even having cancer and having that diagnosis, which can really, you know, create a lot of emotional unrest for people. So, yeah, I think uh, your question is great. I think looking down the trajectory of health and healing, we're going to find a lot of different things start to blossom out. I think we're going to learn much more about food. We're going to um, probably have devices where, you know, it, technology is is beneficial and it also has its downsides, right? But I think that if we use it in its best way, what could happen is we start using our smartphone or apps or devices that we're wearing in order to let us know how we interact with certain things. Maybe it's air quality. Maybe it's water quality. Maybe it's we walk into the grocery store and we start scanning foods and we look at, well, how does that food match what my body needs right now? So not just for everybody, but for the person specifically. And, um, you know, there are apps right now, meditation apps. There are different apps where you can assess your heart rate variability while you do breathing exercises. I mean, I think all of this stuff is, is already emerging. And I think that we can't help ourselves, but really have this be much more integral in, in health and wellness in the future. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think everything maybe is going towards energy. We're going to start understanding energy a lot more, too. Um, I had to ask you this, and this is about just family patterns. There was a gentleman in your book named George, and he didn't want to be like his father. 
And I mm-hmm. see that a lot. I see, I grew up with a single mom and sometimes I'll catch myself saying the same thing my mom used to say. And I'm like, yeah, oh, I'm, I'm, I know. I'm like my mom. And everybody's <laughs> like, no one wants to be like their parents. Cause we're like, when I get older, I'm never going to be like my parents. But then you find yourself saying some things or thinking some things uh, that they used to say. Um, I guess the question is, is that, when it comes to our emotions and processing our emotions and dealing with limiting beliefs and all this other stuff that might hinder us from living a a fulfilled life, are we following the precedent set for us before? Are we following mom and dad or a grandmother or whoever we grew up with? Are we following those precedents? Well, think about it. If our environment determines our genetic expression, it stands to reason that if we grow up in a household with lots of abuse and trauma, that we're going to take on that imprint, and that's going to change our thinking and our emotions throughout our lives. And much of who we are really is established very early on. And it's not to say that we can never work on that and work through those things and become somebody else, but they're pretty strong, and that's the whole science of epigenetics. So when things happen to us and we continue to repeat that pattern, it's almost like it becomes much more ingrained within us. So that's why I work with things like limiting beliefs and limiting thoughts within the whole detox program because if we can get to the root of why we are not doing certain things in our lives that will make us happy, you know, why is it? Why do we let ourselves get overburdened with responsibility why do we say yes when we really mean no why do we continue to put ourselves in relationships that really don't bring out the best in ourselves and we become codependent you know why do we make those choices when we know that they're not necessarily great for us well many times because we're living on automatic pilot and we're not aware we're kind of going with the imprint that we've already built up within ourselves so it really requires serious internal reflection and contemplation on what needs to change. It's almost like, you know, getting at the root. And family is one of those roots, right? I mean, um, gosh, when I was growing up, there were so many things, just like you said, you know, I I didn't want to be like mom. I didn't want to be like dad. I wanted to be like myself. And I, I would never do these things. But now I look back and say, you know, my parents did the best they could with what they had. And, you know, I love my parents, and I'm so glad that they're still alive, and I can have conversations with them about all that stuff, and we can laugh <laughs> about it mm-hmm. and, and kind of look back. And I know many people have so many regrets, and oftentimes families stop talking to one another. Um, and so what you have to do is, is really the only person that you can really make any changes to is you. So you can only change your perspective on the situation. You can't change what has happened in the past. You can't change the people in your family and how they interrelate. You can only take it in the way that it's going to serve you at the highest level. And when I stopped seeing my parents in such a way as like, wow, why did my mom like make me eat this healthy food that was so, you know, it made me such an outcast or why was my father so strict and why wasn't there lots of laughing at the dinner table you know why did I have to go to Catholic school and and have all these strict um, principles around me and and now I see it's like wow all that stuff was really juicy and it made me who I am but at the time I didn't see that 
at the time I saw it as confinement or restriction, and I didn't enjoy it. There was no sense of play. But, um, you know, it really takes coming into your own and realizing your own truths. And I think a lot of us go through that in, I think that there are certain times of life when that kind of bubbles up. You know, late 20s is a key time for many people when they kind of move from the identity that they were given as a child and what they've been kind of working with. And then kind of in their late 20s, I've noticed people going through this shift where they start reevaluating what they stand for. And then I think that another shift happens again in midlife, in the early 40s, where people start to realize, oh, yeah, I don't need to make all these people happy anymore. I don't really, uh, you know, I'm not going to care so much about what everybody else thinks about me. And then I think we go through this again in our late 50s. I think that, you know, this continues to happen throughout people's lives, and it happens continually. But there are some times that it's more emphasized than others because we're engaged in certain things. Uh, around our lives but that that's you know sometimes uh you know one patient told me once illness is the western form of meditation she said illness is the western form of meditation and that her her sickness what she what she was experiencing had actually changed her life and it made her slow down and it made her value things it made her value her own life it made her value friendships and the people around her and I think it's like that. I think uh, if we can look back at our past, at our parents, at our families, and really see everything as a gift and turn it over, just topsy-turvy and say, okay, that was pretty challenging for me to get through, but what did I learn? How did it change my whole life? So, I, you know, it's it's making lemonade out of lemons, of course, Um and, and it's not to say that we don't recognize the pain and the hurt and the grief and the sadness and any other emotion that comes up. I think we, we have to. We have to really get into that space. And I spent a good chunk of my 20s processing a lot of that. I went to a lot of therapists. I did a lot of spiritual work. I studied with teachers to try to make sense of it all because it didn't make sense to me. And then eventually I feel like, you know, I kind of emerged. And it was like, all right. My past is my past. It made me who I am today, but I'm moving on. And now I'm kind of like this future person. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. okay, I, I have this vision. I can see it all unfolding. When are we going to get there? So I even now I have to remind myself, let's stay in the present moment. That's where you're, the, you know, the biggest potential is. So yeah. I know that that was a long-winded answer to your question. No, it's okay. It's That's okay. One. I um. For, for when I hit 40, my new word was whatever. I was like, you know, whatever. I don't care anymore. <laughs> like some kind of somebody flipped the switch on and say, I don't care. And it's that that's how I live my life. I don't care. You know, if I don't want to yeah. do something, I yeah. say, no, I don't want to do it. And that's the way I live my life. And it's so much easier when you say that you don't want to do something and you don't do it rather than saying, uh, saying yes. And then you go there and you mean, no, you meant to say no. The worst feeling. It is yeah. the worst feeling, and there's no greater energy drain than doing what you don't want to do and not being authentic to what you've just promised. You know, then you're caught in this conundrum like, okay, I told that person I would do it, but I don't really want to do it. But, you know, and, and you know, in fact, I was just having a conversation with a friend today, and he was talking about how he was, uh, he was in this relationship for a pretty long time, you know, probably three or four years. He was with a woman. And the woman had a lot of uh, mental, emotional issues, and he felt like he could really help her and heal her. And, you know, he kind of had this 
I don't know, kind of a martyr <laughs> complex where, and I kept, you know, I would listen to him every time he would tell me, but, you know, I, w- I would try to say things each time to really make him more and more aware. And so finally today he was telling me that, you know, they, they've completely severed their relationship now. It's been a couple months and he feels much more energized. He's actually sleeping through the night and she's doing better too. It's not like, you know, she went downhill <laughs> yeah. from this. She actually exactly. is, is like, she's turned over a new leaf. She got a new wardrobe. She's like doing other things. And they're still friends. They talk, but it's not romantic anymore. And it just feels much more nourishing on both sides. So it's like, wow, who would have thought? Yeah, it's so funny that, and people don't believe this, and I believe it wholeheartedly, is that when you're looking for someone to help, the universe will always keep sending you people to help. And as long as you want to take yeah. that role, you're always going to be provided that role. Someone is always going to be coming to you to fill that role. The minute you say, hey, I don't want to help anybody anymore, then it's done. You know, it's done. No one else can come to you. Um, I don't want to keep you over an hour, but I really wanted to talk about the system, but systems because there were some things that kind of uh, hit home for me, and I wanted to kind of get your opinion on them. For the audience out there, the seven systems are root, flow, which you talked about a little bit earlier, fire, love, truth, insight, and spirit. I wanted to talk about fire, truth, and spirit. Um, I do a lot of, I'm like you, I do a lot of not just traditional studying about functional medicine and nutrition. I tend to go off the deep end a little bit and start uh, doing metaphysical teachings as well. And in metaphysical teachings, they talk about what things kind of connotate. Like within truth, you mentioned thyroid. And mm-hmm. one of those things is speaking your truth. And a lot of women seem to have thyroid problems. And one of the things that I get from studying, interviewing people like yourself, is that we have a large segment of our population being women that are taught from an early age not to speak up. If they don't agree with something, it's not ladylike to speak up. So yep. I, I'm, what, I'm wondering... <laughs> I'm wondering if you come across that that in your practice where you're dealing with those types of women, or even maybe it might be even men. You know, some men had dominating mothers or dominating fathers where they don't actually feel like their voice is uh, appreciated. You know, thank you for mentioning men, because I, I think, you know, I usually give a lot of attention to women because a lot of women do my programs and women tend to be health seekers and game changers for the family and such. But really and truly, I think men, um, there's something that's not aligned in our society with, again, men being emotional, men uh, seeking out healing and working on themselves. It's kind of seen as weakness. So when when you ask about the truth, this can manifest in so many different ways. So this, this truth system is all about, uh, yeah, it's the thyroid, it's the throat, it's the mouth, it's kind of all of that space that we are speaking from, speaking our truth, what are the choices that you're verbalizing, are you authentic, do you know your values, that kind of a thing. And I think for women, yes, I, I have seen that many women, they have been kind of programmed with that message of, you know, be polite, please others. Um, don't say this because it's wrong or, you know, you don't want to be looked at in a certain way. So there's so much about, you know, that judgment. And that actually plays into the love and the fire systems too. I think for men, um, I've seen different things with men. 
And some of the things are maybe uh, on the opposite side. So what I would call an overactive truth where they're saying things and maybe what they're saying is not really representative of the truth. So they're lying or they might be exaggerating or they might be um, in some way manipulating a conversation. And women do this too. You know, I definitely see that. So women can be chatty and, and talkative and embellishing things, exaggerating. You know, that's a form of toxicity. It's not true, right? We're, we're kind of, we're, we're making things seem more than they are. So does this tie into thyroid? It can. You know, I don't always see that personalities and psychology translate directly into the body, but there can be patterns. And so there can be patterns manifest where, Uh, People have been shut down in their voice for a really long time, and um, they they can't have other thyroid issues, but maybe they have other issues too. So I don't see it as a a point A to point B all the time. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's a little bit more circuitous, and it's bringing in other things, and it's much more complex. Because, again, I think we're not cookbooks. You know, we're not laid out in such a way that it's easy to navigate with a straightforward map. I think sometimes the thyroid connects into uh, our sense of fire, our sense of confidence. And if we don't feel confident, chances are we're not going to speak up. Uh, Another one, it it could involve our sense of love, our love system. If we're not taking care of ourselves and we're not birthing our passions, then we maybe are not vocalizing them out. I I often say that the, the throat which connects to the truth system is like the birth canal of the heart because it's right there and it's just and it's also the 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 birth canal for the mind it's a really neat i'm glad that you even mentioned the truth because it's one of those pivotal junctions of what we say in the world because even in in religious texts when a word is spoken it has energy it has meaning and so if we are praying or if we say a mantra or if we have an affirmation, this is where I bring in affirmations into whole detox as the program, mm-hmm. that has power. You know, the moment we say something, but if we keep it to ourselves and we never say certain things, it will never go to the next level. Speaking it takes it to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, three more things and then I'll let you go. Um, fire. Fire is, my mind kind of makes these different connections with a lot of things. And in fire, fire is the pancreas and some other digestive organs. And I got to thinking about diabetes. You know, a large segment of our our population has an issue with diabetes. But um, metaphysically, from a metaphysical standpoint, diabetes is kind of related to people are missing the sweetness in life and not experiencing much love. But reading the book and reading the systems, it's kind of like fire, pancreas, and then somebody kind of putting the fire out, like people no longer have that passion in their lives. So uh, again, with something like diabetes, can you look at a person and say, hey, you know what, this person really doesn't have the fire, like you mentioned in the book, the fire in the gut or fire in the belly, I believe it was, Yeah, is what, mm-hmm. is what we say. So, and, and what I've noticed with a lot of people who have maybe have diabetes is like they're kind of just maybe going along in life and it's like their fire is out. So that's yeah. what I got from, 
it's it's just like their fire is out. Like they have nothing to live for anymore. It's like life. It's all it's done. You know, I don't have anything to reach for anymore. No more dreams or whatever. And I'm wondering if that's a good, you know, good correlation to make. It's an excellent correlation. Yeah. The fire system, um, most people are out of alignment with their fire system of health. And so I do this questionnaire. There's a questionnaire in the book, and it's also online. And so we've collected all the data from people that have done it online. And we find that um, the fire system is top of the list when it comes to imbalances. This is where most people, most people have issues in their root and in their fire. So the fire, um, if we think about it metaphorically, being burnt out, feeling fried to a crisp, it's kind of like oh, I've got no nothing left to give. I, I've just I, I've worked so much. I've um, not played. I've not enjoyed my life. I've always given, given, given. And and I see the fire, especially in terms of work-related stress. So these are the people that don't balance work and life. Their work becomes their life. They might even um, work long hours in the day. They become perfectionistic. They becomes they become very judgment oriented and just not very fun anymore because everything is now work. And you even look at a lot of these um, different workplaces that now have things like showers and beds in them. It's almost like my goodness, these workplaces want people to or people working from home. You know, it's almost like the the line between work and life and play has really fused together where where work is predominant now and i think that that really sucks away our joy we stop eating well we stop living well we stop exercising we become sedentary and just like you said darren the fire gets put out eventually and and this leads to all kinds of digestive issues you know we can see bloating or uh, indigestion or now we can't tolerate certain foods that we used to eat or we have an acidic stomach and we feel like it's burning and we, we can't eat certain foods. So, yeah, I, I, I really look at each of these seven systems in literal ways, like what's actually going on in the body, like with digestion. And then I look at it symbolically, like, okay, what are you not digesting? And I look at that for each of the seven systems um, because I feel like it, it just makes so much sense to do that. Yeah, and the last thing with spirit is just my personal thing because it hit home for me when I was reading your book because you relayed spirit as a circadian rhythm. And there was a time maybe God, five or six months ago that every every night I would wake up at 3 in the morning. It was like 3, or more, three in the morning or 3.15. I would wake up between those those minutes every night. And it wasn't until I really tuned in and really started listening to the music that I was able to listen to the message that I was able to really get a sound amount of sleep. And it was something huge that I was just bearing and I wasn't in touch with it. But I remember just waking up at three o'clock in the morning or three fifteen. I would look at my um my phone or look at my mm-hmm. iPod because I had to keep my iPod beside my bed and I was just like, well I wonder what time it is. And it was a regular pattern of three o'clock to three fifteen. But I know there was a message for me in that. Um last question is I know we talked about detox, but we talked nothing about food. <laughs> but <laughs> the, last, the last question is, obviously, for these seven systems, different foods are going to work with different systems. Given maybe one or two examples of what might work, pick the ones that you like between root and spirit 
of foods that really work to kind of maybe even those uh, systems out or maybe unblock them or, you know, whatever language I, I can use there. I'll make it even easier. <laughs> the each of the seven <laughs> systems is associated with a color. So the root is red, so it coincides with red-colored foods. So if you look at the whole detox program, when you look at days one through three, I have all these red-colored foods. So I have beets and pomegranate, raspberries, cherries. You know, what I'm really aiming for is for people to get more color and to get more variety within that color. Because usually if you tell people, eat more red-colored foods, they're like, okay, and then they start eating lots of tomatoes and nothing else. So they, they kind of do it, but they don't do it in the full-spectrum way. So each of these systems and their colors coincides then with the colors of those foods. So the flow would be orange. The fire would be looking at the amount of yellow foods that you have in the diet. The fire is kind of unique in that way because typically we're eating too many yellow-colored foods. So... Mm-hmm. If you think of bread and corn products and, you know, just sweeteners in general that might come from things that are yellow, um, sometimes what I do there is actually have them lessen the unhealthy yellow foods and increase the healthy yellow foods. The the green one is the love system, and that's really easy because, uh, you know, we, we get green but probably not nearly enough. Uh, the truth is connected to the color aquamarine, and, and I associate this with things like sea plants, which are rich in iodine and other minerals that are helpful for the thyroid. The the insight is indigo, and I connect that to indigo-colored foods, so things like blueberries, boysenberries, marionberries, um, you know, just anything that's that blue-purple color. And this is the color that we actually get too little of, if you look at the research. You know, 88% of people, when they were surveyed, uh, didn't get enough of the blue-purple. And then the last one, the spirit, is the color white. And so white-colored foods, which, you know, I was always grown up to believe that the whiter the bread, the quicker you're dead. And I remember my mom saying that to me. But there are some healing white foods, you know, cauliflower, coconut, garlic, uh, certain seeds like sesame seeds are very healing for the liver. So I talk about some of the, in fact, there was just even a study that came out on white-colored foods reducing the risk for incident stroke, which is really fascinating. They found that apples and pears, which they would constitute as white because of the inside, um, connect to lower stroke risk and not the other colored vegetables and fruits. So, you know, I think that there's something to unlock here with the sense of color that um, I really do try to address extensively within Whole Detox, including looking at the science of color, which not a lot of people really know about. Yeah. Does this, these seven systems kind of correlate with the chakras? It seems like they kind of do. They do. That was kind of my, my initial starting place. <laughs> and then I, I started right. to flesh them out a little bit more. I've written a right. book on on chakras and food. I wrote one on supplements, dietary supplements and, and chakras too. Um, but this one, because it became more systematic, like I started attaching things that we don't always attach to the, the chakra system. So, yeah, I, I wanted to really, I, I started with that as my, my framework for sure. 
Yeah. It didn't occur to me until I was sitting here. You, I was taking notes while you were talking. I was like, red? Yeah. I was like, is this the chakra system? <laughs> so it finally occurred to me. Dr. Deanna, I don't want to keep you any longer. We actually went over seven minutes, but it was so worth it. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Um, your book is located on Amazon, and I, I would guess all the other book outlets where you can get the book. And for all those out there, I would recommend you get it and read it cover to cover, because I really believe that this is where everything is going. And Dr. Deanna is on the cusp of everything. So get the book. Aww. Yeah, read the book. And also, um, what is your website again for the listeners out there? I have two. Um, one of them is DeannaMinnick.com. And then the other one is Whole-Detox.com. And Darren, I hope that you'll participate in the next whole detox that we have. We're going to do an online one, and that's in October. It starts October 1st. So, and okay. you can do it online. You can do it from wherever you are. We all come together as a community and do it using the book. Oh. And that's um, you. You sign up online on your website for that. Yep. Yeah, you can sign up online okay. if you go to the whole-detox.com website. You'll see where you okay. can sign up. And uh, I also have a um, a Facebook group page where a lot of the people that are interested in the whole detox work come together to talk. And we're, we're, this week we're doing a whole detox gratitude, and, and next week we're going to do a whole detox garbage focus. So <laughs> we, we do different things. We did a plastic focus. You know, we just uh, always try to work on different aspects of the environment and ourselves. All right. Well, I will list that on my Facebook page and um, also on the uh, – I'll go back and – and change it in the show notes as well. But thank you so much. I really enjoyed speaking with you tonight. Oh, it's been great. Thank you so much. All right. You have a good evening. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. Um, Next week we'll have, I believe two shows and one will be on uh, food sensitivity testing. For those of you out there who've never heard of that, um, I used to work at a lab, which specializing that I kind of know the ins and outs of, of all the testing for those of you who may be wanting to know what foods might not agree with you. This, uh, I mean, most people think that everything agrees with you, but from working in that atmosphere about two years ago, I know that most of us have at least eight or nine foods that don't really work with us in our diet. And that does not mean you can never eat those foods again. Some of them you may not just because of the way you're wired, but most of the time, it just means that you might have, you know, a gut issue. And we'll talk a little bit about that. And then on um, Wednesday, I believe it is, we'll be talking about fermentation, which kind of goes in with food sensitivity testing because you really want to heal your gut when um, you have food sensitivities and fermentation or eating fermented foods actually helps with supplying the gut with the much needed bacteria that it needs, especially when um, there's what you call dysbiosis in the gut, where there's a disimbalance of the flora in the gut, good flora versus bad flora. So we'll have those two shows next week, and I will see you same fat chime, same fat channel. Thank you for listening. Good night.